Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Saving faith is the initial response to God's grace. But it results in a life that's changed. Worship 24-7. So what does that look like? Just add this statement to this. Real faith produces obedience. You see, you'll never call yourself a believer unless you obey God. One day Jesus made this amazing statement. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I ask you to do? Lots of people go to church. Millions, maybe billions do. Unfortunately, not everyone who attends church is actually a member of the body of Christ. Jesus himself warned that pleasing God outwardly comes as a result of the inner change God has made in our lives. Pastor Mark is reminding us that there is no activity that we can perform that will move our spiritual ledger from the negative to the positive. Only the sacrifice Jesus made for us can do that. The works that we then perform are a form of worship to God in appreciation for all He's done for and given to us. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in Philippians chapter 3 with part 3 of his message, Three Signs of a True Believer. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, not to man, not to a church, not to a pastor, not to a priest, not to a rabbi, pleasing to God. Notice the next words, powerful. This is your spiritual act of worship. So what is Paul saying? He's just simply saying this. Real worship is you and I, having the Spirit of God in us, 24-7, we just offer God all of us. Whatever He wants, we just offer it to Him. It's not just about praise night. It's not about on a Sunday morning. It's our 24-7 lifestyle of giving ourselves to God, showing that we worship Him. He is number one. I love the Message Bible. My favorite verse in all of the Message Bible You can't study by it, but it's got great pregnant resource as you read it. So here's what I want you to do. By the way, God helping you. You can't do any of this without God helping us. Take your everyday ordinary life. How many have every ordinary life? You just do every ordinary life. That's us. We're all ordinary. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around, around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's it. It's not something like, whoa, the spirit was there today. No, the spirit's there when I, God says, I go over and talk to that person. Okay. And take your wife to that Christmas deal. No charge. Okay. 
Okay. Spend time with your family. Thanksgiving. Yeah, but my wife's bringing her relatives. God help us. He will. Be there. No ganguzo. See, that's your ordinary everyday life, isn't it? On Thursday, honey, I just burnt the turkey. We have 24 people in the front room. No problem. Out we go to where? Someplace to eat. Cracker Barrel, eleven ninety-five. Full dinner. Away we go. See, that's everyday life, no matter what the circumstances. Because God's in control. He's the one I serve. Paul says, if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to call yourself a believer, then you need to worship God with your life, not just with your mouth, 24-7. It's not really outward. It's an inward. It's a proper attitude. Now go back to Philippians chapter 2. Let me give you the second one. Look at verse 3 again. He says this. A real believer who glory in Christ Jesus, or another translation says, a real believer, we rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. So here's number two. Write it down. If you're a real believer, Christ followers rely on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, we have faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Not something plus, just that. Real biblical faith simply trusts in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's what Paul gets back to. No one could add anything to Christ's free offer of salvation by faith through grace. It's not intellectual, which simply says, well, pretty soon in a few weeks, we will have lots of people in our churches around the world. They'll be here for Christmas, Christmas Eve. They'll be here for Thanksgiving, maybe, but mostly Christmas, maybe also Easter. Now, why did they come? Because it's the religious thing to do. And that's points to get me to heaven. Well, no, it doesn't count at all. See, Paul says, and you say to that person, why are you coming? Do you, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus lived and died. That's intellectual. It's never gone from here to here. So Paul says, no, 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 no. Saving faith is the initial response to God's grace, but it results in a life that's changed. Worship 24-7. So what does that look like? Just add this statement to this. Real faith produces obedience. You see, you'll never call yourself a believer unless you obey God. One day, Jesus made this amazing statement. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I ask you to do? You say, well, Pastor Mark, there's good works getting in there again. No, 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 it's not here yet. You'll see where it comes. It always comes after salvation. Look at the last part of verse 3. Paul says, who put no confidence in the flesh. Or another translation says, we put no confidence in human effort. So what is number 3? Write it down. Christ followers know they can't be saved by good works. Someone has said that dead religion always looks at Christianity backwards. We're always trying to do good so that we can be saved. Religious people think it's what they do that makes them believers when that when, rather than what they receive as a gift. So a person becomes a real believer by faith, by grace, then there's a transformed life. 
And there is going to be good things because they're obeying the very Spirit of God. See, in our natural ability, everything we do in life is by being good enough. A few years ago, we did a survey. Thousands of you helped in it. And we asked you to go over a week and go to your friends and co-workers and students and whatever and say to them, when you die and you stand before God and he lets you into heaven, why will he let you into heaven? And the number one response out of these thousands of questions, the number one response in Brevard County was this, because I'm a good person. That's 100% wrong. You will never get to heaven by being a good person. The reason is, the Bible stipulates how good you have to be to get to heaven. Jesus said it like this, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Now, the Jewish person thought they could get close. So they added all these rules and regulations. Paul was one of them. If anybody, Paul's going to say to us in a moment, I'm closer than the rest of you. I can be good enough. But then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he discovered, well, he could never be good enough. You see, all of us think in that term. When you get a raise, why did you get a raise? Because you were good. When you were transferred from the 7th grade to the 8th grade, why'd you get there? Because you passed your exams. When you got into this college versus that college, how'd you get there? Because you had better SATs than the other guy had. See, it's always a matter of doing good. But Paul tells us in Galatians, I think it's very clear. God says this through Paul. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus. The only way you ever get to heaven is by believing in him, receiving him, and begin following him. Not by obeying the law, not rules and regulations. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law. Rule, regulation, don't eat fish on Friday, do this, that, and the other. Be, don't dance, don't chew, whatever. Don't hang around people that do whatever the kind of stuff that we did. But look at the last line. Powerful line. For no one. How many is no one? Hello? That this is good math. How many is no one? Zero. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Today we would say no one will ever be made right with God by being good enough. Now what about all those thousands of people, good people, moral people, our friends, who answered the question, I'll get there by being good enough. Who's going to tell them? That's why you're here. Somebody told you. The Apostle Paul is writing this because Jesus from heaven told him. So I have a great responsibility because Satan is always infiltrating our churches. People want to know who God is. Satan says, here's how you do it. Here's all the stuff that you got to do. But pretty soon we discover that it will never, ever work. Now, Paul moves in these last three verses from talking about we to him. Here's what Paul's going to say. If anyone was good enough in all the Bible, I'm the man. (laughs) And he's going to prove it. He's going to give us seven statements why he should have been good enough. But wait 
till you see his conclusion. So he's going to brag on himself. He's going to give us four things because of his birth that happened to him. His religious background, his religious heritage. And then he's going to give us three things that he did that should have added up to getting into heaven. And then he's going to give us an amazing statement. Look at verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. What he just said, I don't put any confidence in the flesh. He said, no, 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 I have reasons. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm your man. I'm your number one Jewish religious man that's going to go to heaven. He took great pride in his religious background and what he had accomplished as a Jew. He thought he was as righteous as any person could ever be. So he lists these seven things. Let me give them to you very quickly. Number one, in those next verses, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So Paul, as a baby, did what the law said to do. Of course, he didn't do it. His parents obeyed the law. He was circumcised. Number two, of the people of Israel, all true Jews came from Abraham. They are still called today God's people. One day, I was listening to Alon Solomon. He's a Messianic Jew a Jew that believes in Jesus. He's a pastor of a great church up on the East Coast. When he was in college, he was on drugs, alcohol, and he was in deep trouble. He was Jewish, but never really practiced. So he was into all kinds of foreign religions. You name it, he tried it. And one day he went to his personal rabbi and he said to his personal rabbi, how do I get to heaven? And his rabbi said this, are you Jewish? He said, well, certainly I'm a Jewess. He says, all Jews automatically go to heaven. We're God's people. That's what he was told. Now, later he discovered that's 100% wrong. But think of all the people that you know you're going to heaven because you go to Calvary Chapel. They teach the word. They got that short pastor, but he teaches the word. You go to heaven because you take mass, you're Catholic. You're going to heaven because your heritage is Jewish. That has nothing to do with it. Jesus Christ died for the whole world. There's nothing in there about Jew, Gentile, separatist, man or woman. Next, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. Doesn't mean much to us, it meant a lot to the Jews. That was one of the elite tribes of the 12 of Israel. And then, look what he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What did that mean? That meant that both of his parents were Jewish. He's locked into heaven now, baby. Both of them. He doesn't have a Gentile and a Jew. He's got two Jewish parents. And then he talks about his effort. Look at this. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. See, the Pharisees were the legalists. If you're a legalist today and everything's wrong and you pick at everything, there's no, you, you will never have joy. Legalists, they drive me crazy because they're so miserable. They want to make everybody else miserable. Lord, help us. I have to watch my ganguzo with those people who drive me crazy. But see, legalists did that. They kept every little part of the law. Oh, I got to tie the mint that I grew in my garden. And one, Je- one day Jesus said to him, you whitewashed tombs, you. On the outside, you look beautiful, but inside you're dead. 
That's who Paul was. He took pride in this complex system of tradition and works to be right with God. And then he says this, as for zeal, persecuting the church. You see, to the Jews, zeal was the highest single virtue of religion. It combined love and hate. Paul loved Judaism. He hated anything that would cause problems with Judaism. And what caused problems with Judaism? Jesus Christ. And Christians. So what did he do? He persecuted Christians. He killed them. And last, he says this. By the way, as for legalist righteousness, I was faultless. Paul outwardly kept the law. And he would say nobody could accuse him. Now, he wasn't sinless. He's not saying that. But he was blameless. In all good conscience, he lived up to the standard that God gave. And then, on the road to Damascus, Paul's eyes were open to the truth. He lists these seven things, and he says, If anyone could be right and get to heaven, I'm your man. Look at verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss... For the sake of Christ. Look on the overhead. I put the New Living Translation because I think it makes it clear. Look what it says. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless. Because of what Christ, notice the tense, has done. What was he doing? Take this Bible this morning as a balance sheet. And over here are all the good things you've done. Over here are a few of the bad. Paul's asset sheet was loaded with good works. He just listed them. We gave you seven, and there's many more. And he said, I was so proud, but when I came and met Jesus, all of these things that I had over here in this balance sheet, when I added them up, zero. In fact, they all went away. I had to write off my religious pedigree. I had to write off my pride in my performance. And I actually had to just put that sheet down and go, Jesus, save me. And that's how he's going to get into heaven. Because he came with nothing to the cross. How are you going to get into heaven? Your religious background, your pedigree, your good works? The plus versus the negative? No. Paul says, I threw them all away. Because there's only one way to get to heaven. Jesus Christ went to the cross. And on that cross, he did live a perfect life. And Paul says, my sins were nailed there. He he took my place. And because of that, he says, I'm born again. I'm saved. So he writes to the church and he says, don't you dare allow people to come in and do this. Add to what Jesus Christ did. Nobody could add to it. If anybody could, it would have been me. But when I looked at me and I looked at Christ, it was over. So I asked you about a test. Later, Paul writes a very probing question. I want you to see it and then we're going to close. Take a look what he says. He says, examine yourselves. To see whether you're in the faith. Are you really a believer? Uh, To test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. 
before we leave this morning, we're all going to take a test. I want you to look at me in the eyes, and I want you to see whether you pass or fail. It's not graded on the curve. We studied this morning three keys of a believer. The first key is this. No good works will get you to heaven. Is that what you're relying on? If so, you failed. Number two, Jesus alone. Faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross alone is what gets me to heaven. Have you ever done it? Have you ever repented of your sin? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to come in to you and to your life and received him and received forgiveness and received the assurance that you're born again? I meet lots of people and I say, when you die, are you going to go to heaven? I hope so. No, the Bible was written so you would know that you can go to heaven. You know, you'll talk to lots of religious people, many even priests, many pastors who can't, they're not sure. One of the amazing faiths, one of the greatest false faith is the Muslims. They can never tell you whether they'll go to heaven or not, except if they're going to be one of those people that murders innocent people. Other than that, the average Muslim cannot tell you. There's no assurance. But John writes to us, I write these things that you might know that you're saved. Why would, you want, why would anybody want to live going, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm, that's miserable. So you can know. Number one, no good works. Number two, you trust in Jesus only. And what was number three? Do you remember number three? Number three is simply this. I worship. I live for him 24-7. It's a lifestyle. It's not an event. Well, Pastor Mark, I know no good works get me there. And I did accept Jesus Christ. That was back in 83. What's happened in your life since then? Well, not much. I'm going to heaven. I'm a cool. Uh, probably not. Remember what Jesus said? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do anything I say? You don't obey me? You haven't grown? There's no fruit. There's no proof. There's no obedience. That's dead religion. It's dead You'll never get to heaven. Pastor Mark, are you saying I should do good works? Yeah. After you're saved, you prove it because God has changed your heart. You present your body living sacrifice. Do you mean I got to live perfect? Come on. Anybody? Per- are you married? You will not live perfect. None of us live perfect. That's why we have grace. Hallelujah. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. There's not a more important question in life to answer than this. How do I get eternal life? How do I get to heaven? I've given you the answer. No good works will do it. You must ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. I don't care what background you are. And you do that by believing that he died on the cross for you. You repent of your sins. And then you begin to follow him. And you offer your life to him. 24-7 is an act of worship, your spiritual act. It certainly includes coming to church and worship and Bible study and all the other things we learn. But you got to have it in the right order. Today, Pastor Mark reminded us that our works will not save us. We have to rely on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Once we've received salvation, we rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the power to be obedient to God's commands. The Apostle Paul considered his previous attempts to be righteous as garbage because of what Christ had done for him. 
There's so much to learn from Pastor Mark's current series, so be sure to join us again. In the meantime, we'd like to offer you a CD copy of today's message for your own archives or for you to share with friends and family. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on Order a Message at the top of the page. There you'll be asked for the mailing information and be sure to include today's date. Each CD costs $5 to cover materials and shipping. Again, to order your CD copy, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com. This wraps up the message, Three Signs of a True Believer. Next time, Pastor Mark will begin the teaching, Knowing Christ Better. He will use Paul's desire to get to know Christ better as a template, a pattern for us to use in our own lives. We'll find out what it means to know Christ in a deeper way, as well as the personal cost required for us to do so. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God bless you. Together, let's do life right. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.